Today's a great day for you to be with us as we begin a brand new series called The Journey of Two, where for the next several weeks, we are going to use this metaphor of a journey to talk about love, sex, dating, and marriage. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, there's probably few parts of our life that have the potential to wreck our entire life more than our drive and desire for love in different relationships, right? I mean, even as I say that word marriage, all of us come up with something different. We feel something different. It's a term that comes with a lot of baggage, right? I mean, you have different opinions and, and beliefs and, and deeply rooted convictions about marriage. And, and maybe when I say marriage, some wounds from the past surface, and, and you have a right to feel that way because you've been burned by it in the past. We, we all come to the table today, whether we know it or not, with different experiences when it comes to marriage. And, and so what we're going to do here across for the next four weeks is, is go back to the creator and the author of marriage and allow him to show us a better way to live in, in this part of our life. Now, you need to know that a better way to live doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be easier for us. It doesn't necessarily mean that, a, that, that it's going to be more popular or that we're guaranteed certain benefits or, or advantages. No, oftentimes the best thing for us in life is also the most difficult, the most painful, or the least popular thing to do. And so just know that in this series, you're probably going to hear some things that you might not agree with, that maybe anger you, frustrate you. And that's okay, all right? We'll, we'll all probably experience that at some point. And I just want to reassure you that if you're tuning in right now, you're, you're here with us right now, you don't need to agree with us in order to be here with us. You, you don't need to believe like we do in order to be welcome here, okay? And so know that more than wanting something from you, our desire in this series is that we want something for you, all right? And, and there's a big difference in, in that motivation. Now, understand that uh, I, I am, because I'm a pastor, it doesn't mean that I'm an expert in marriage, okay? I'm not some relational uh, guru. And, and just because I'm really good looking, all right, why do you laugh? It doesn't mean that I'm the perfect husband. No, this is a part of my life that I have failed at time and time and time again. And, and so I'm going to be very open and honest with you, and here's why. My experience has been that a lot of us, we feel this pressure to act like everything's okay. When people ask us how we're doing, we say fine, but deep down, we know we're just putting on a front, we're wearing a mask, because when we go home at night, we know we're walking into a war zone. Our relationship with our spouse or our stepchildren or whatever that may look like for you, it's not fine. In fact, that's a part of your life that is causing you a lot of pain, hurt, and frustration right now. And, and so by being open, honest, and transparent, maybe you can come to this place where you realize it's okay to not be okay, because only when you get to that place can you then take the necessary steps forward to ask for help, okay? And so that's important to know as we journey in this series. Now, while we will talk about love, sex, dating, and marriage in this series, understand that this series really isn't about that, okay? Okay? 
We're certainly going to talk about those things, but what we will learn is that these parts of our life really reveal where we're ultimately building our hope, where we're ultimately building our life, and and that's really the deeper issue uh, behind all of this. Now, as we get started, uh, I would just want to confront kind of a misconception that a lot of us have about marriage, about the big wedding day. Oftentimes, we think that this is a journey that begins after we say, I do, don't we? And yet, what if we, if we save the preparation for this journey till our wedding day? We're really setting ourselves up for a lot of frustration, sleepless nights, shouting matches, custody battles, and in loneliness. Now, let me say it like this, that the journey you experience after your wedding is determined by how intentional you are before your wedding. Right? The journey you experience after your wedding, after you say I do, is determined by how intentional you are before your wedding. In other words, the biggest threat to every marriage is not really understanding or knowing when the journey begins. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to look at what it really looks like to date well, to date with intentionality, okay? And uh, this is relevant to all of us because we are either single, we're maybe looking, we're maybe married, and we're thinking about a day when uh, we can date again in the future, all right? This is something that we can all relate to regardless of your uh, life circumstance. Now, if you have your Bibles or Bible app or you're listening online right now, go ahead and jump to the Old Testament book of Song of Songs. Sometimes this book is referred to as the Song of Solomon, okay? And if you don't own a Bible, there should be a black Bible right there in front of you. If you're worshiping with us back in the chapel, it's on that table right as you walked in a moment ago. And uh, feel free to take that with you when you leave here today. You can steal that from us. We, we want uh, that book to be in your hands. And the Song of Songs is right in between the book of Ecclesiastes and Isaiah, about halfway through uh, the, the Bible, okay? And we're going to pick up in chapter 2, but, but as you're turning there, let me just set the scene uh, for what's going on here, give you a little context, a little background, because throughout this series, we're going to continue to go back to this book. We're going to walk through certain parts of it. All right, this book was really a, a diary or a, a collection of poems and songs that a guy named Solomon, who was the king of Israel at one point in time, wrote about his wife. All right, this book was written about 3,000 years ago, and, and throughout this book, we really see what the journey of marriage is all about, from before the wedding day all the way through, from the highs to lows of uh, relationship with, with your spouse. Now, this is perhaps the oldest uh, love song that we have known to mankind, all right? Now, there's something about love that makes us want to sing and write deep, poetic, beautiful lyrics about how we feel and the romance we're experiencing, and, and different artists and musicians have made millions and millions of dollars over the course of many centuries writing different love songs, right? And they're great lyrics. They're inspirational, aren't they? And then there's Taylor Swift, all right? And you can only feel so bad for her, singing about all the different breakups that she's experienced until you realize what's the common factor here in every breakup you've gone through, right? It's her. And and even the way that Taylor Swift, whom I love, expresses frustration and anger towards an ex-boyfriend, a lot of us can identify with that. Why? Love can make us angry. Love can lead us to frustration. And and so what does it really look like to to live a better way when it comes to this part of our life? And so we're going to pick up in chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse 1, and, and we're going to pick up right, right in between an exchange that Solomon has with his wife. Now, you need to know that we never are told her, we're never told her name. Sometimes she's referred to as Solomon's lover, her, uh, his beloved, or uh, the uh, Shulamite woman, okay? Now, just for the sake of clarity, because there is an exchange taking place, 
her words, what she says, uh, will be in white, and um, I'm sorry, her words, his words will be in white while her words are in yellow, okay? So let's pick up in verse 1 and 2. Here's what we read. So here's what she says. I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. Solomon responds by saying, like a lily among the thorns is my darling among the young women. Now, Solomon's bride re- referred to herself here as a, as a rose and, and as a, a lily. Now, that sounds a little bit arrogant for her to say that about herself, doesn't it? But rather, what we see happening here is that her confidence is being built up by her boyfriend, by her fiancé, Solomon, at the time. Now, in the previous chapter, she talks about how insecure she felt about her body, about different physical features that she had. And I think in even verse 6 of chapter 1, she tells Solomon, hey, quit staring at me. Don't look at me. Apparently, Solomon stared at her like she was a piece of meat. And so, ladies, if your husband does that, just know it's biblical, okay? (laughs) Kidding, kind of. uh, (laughs) The thing is, Solomon responded. Here's what I want you to catch. He responded with admiration to the shame that she expressed about her body. He he didn't tell her when she said, hey, don't look at me. I I have all this wrong with me. He, He didn't say, yeah, you know what? You could lose a few pounds. He didn't say that. He didn't say, well, yeah, it was only a matter of time until you started to look like your mother. No, he, he didn't say that. Instead, he built her. That would have been a horrible thing for him to have said, right? <laughs> no, he built her up with, with his words. And guys, just, just as a little tip, this is free. Never, ever criticize your wife. Never, ever put her down, especially when you're talking about her physical attributes in, in front of other people. She wants you to know how beautiful that you think that she is. Look at how intentional Solomon was uh, in verses uh, 9 through 11 when, when she expressed the shame that she felt. He said, look, I, I liken you, my darling, uh, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariot horses. Your cheeks are beautiful with earrings, your neck with strings of jewels. We will make you earrings of gold studded with, with silver. Now, first off, notice how uh, Solomon compares her to, to a mare, all right? Now, a mare is a female horse. How romantic, right? So what, what's happening here? Well, understand that this was a very effective, creative way for Solomon to tell her how she stood out to him. Now, back then, in the ancient world, chariots were usually pulled by several male horses, stallions. And so if a female horse happened to be pulling a chariot, you would have known. It would have been very obvious. You you could easily uh, detect it. And so right here, we see a really important component to every healthy marriage. We see what's taking place here, a critical component to lay the foundation for a lifelong journey, happily married to to one another. And it goes back to this. Solomon, he wasn't focusing on himself here. No, you see, true love, true love is about selflessness. He served her with his words. And so while you may disagree and get defensive when I say this, here's the first rule or principle of the journey if if we're wanting to do this right. It goes like this. Don't waste your time trying to find the right person. Now, don't waste your time trying to find the right person. What what in the world are you saying, Patrick? Well, this completely contradicts our expectations and what we've been told, doesn't it? The standard that our culture has set for what you should look for in a husband or wife, it's both way too high and it's also way too low at the exact same time. What do I mean by that? Well, the motivation behind finding the right person or, or searching for the one 
is way too high because really at the end of the day, you're putting pressure upon that person to fill a need that they can't ultimately fill. And and if we're all honest with ourselves, the motivation driving all of that is selfishness. It's it's self-centeredness. And so here's how this works. We've trained ourselves to date, to have casual sex, to have one-night stands, to live with our fiancé, boyfriend or girlfriend, to a point because, with the motivation of hopefully identifying a quality that we don't like, that doesn't mix well with us, that, that we don't agree with, so that we could then tap out before we actually go to the altar, right? And so you are looking at the relationship through the lens of what's in it for me. And honestly... You will find something that you don't like. It's only a matter of time until you think, boy, this this is the wrong person. Now, these standards are also way too low because, again, you're putting an amount of pressure and weight on that person that they can't live up to. Your expectations become way too idealistic and unrealistic, and, and, and you're really seeking something from them that ultimately only God can give. And do you know what the Bible word for that is? Idolatry. And over time, this only leads to greater insecurities, more loneliness, and fragmented marriages and and relationships. The one, it doesn't exist. The right person out there, it doesn't necessarily exist because it's a matter of time until you find something in that person that you don't like that rubs you the wrong way. Now, it was only a matter of time until Solomon and his new bride found something in each other that they didn't really like, and they started questioning, did I marry the right person? Did I make a mistake? What, what happened to my judgment along the way? All right, they had, weren't even gone from their honeymoon yet. They just had consummated their marriage. They had just had sex for the first time when they started to get into a really big argument. Now, we don't have the specifics of the argument. We don't know who was right and who was wrong, but we do know that it led them to this place of deep, intense frustration, so much so that here's how Solomon's wife describes how she felt. She said, I slept, but my heart was awake. If you're married, don't you know, don't you know how that feels? Again, we're not told what they argued about or what the conflict was over, but it's clear, it's clear that something was getting between the two of them. Maybe they had gotten into a fight and she walked out of the room. Maybe Solomon got too busy with, with work and had completely overlooked a date that they had on the calendar and they had planned for that night. And what I'm, what I'm not saying right here, though, is, is that standards are a bad thing. I'm not telling you to settle. No, don't settle. But at the same time, I'm encouraging you to be realistic all right, even the most perfect person out there that you find that you may have compatibility with, he or she will disappoint you. It's only a matter of time. Many dating experts say that you know, one of the most important components uh, in the dating phase of the relationship is, is to look out for chemistry, right? I mean, how compatible are you with the other person? And, and there's an element of truth to that, I think, but the danger in, in going too far with that is chemistry is just another way to say it's about the feelings, it's about the emotions. How does this person make me feel? What, what can this person do for me? And, and here's why this is faulty, and this is why we can't put all our, uh, our, our entire uh, decision to marry this person on that, on that one feeling. Or because in the dating process, we're putting our best foot forward, aren't we? I mean, with your boyfriend or girlfriend, you are only seeing the best versions of themselves. And so you are basing chemistry based upon a stage performance that the other person brings to the table in the relationship. I mean, nobody wants to make a bad first impression, right? 
A friend of mine who's a police officer in the church told me about an arrest that he recently made. It was rather unusual. He got a call about a shoplifter at a local Walmart, and when he uh, pulled up to the parking lot and found the guy, it became rather obvious quickly that he was also interrupting some evening plans that this guy had, okay? Because when he opened up the car and he saw what this guy had shoplifted from Walmart, uh, it was rather interesting. This guy had stolen a bottle of wine, a thing of cologne, and get this, (laughs) some Gas-X medication. <laughs> yeah, apparently, he was a little bit nervous about his date that night, right? <laughs> Nobody wants to make a bad first impression. We put intentionally our best foot forward because we want that other person to like us. We, we go out of our way to, to make sure that that happens. Now, you may not be there right now in your relationship with your boyfriend, with your fiance, but a time is coming when you will no longer see that person as infallible. You will see his or her flaws. He or she will hurt you, call you names, lie to you, scream at you, bring your past against you, and, and, and cause you a lot, lot of hurt. One thing I do in every single wedding that, that I do is I just kind of pause in the middle of the ceremony, and, and I tell the bride and the groom to turn around and just soak in the moment to look around the room and to look at the family and friends that are there to support them and that that are there to love them. And, you know, sometimes you just kind of go so quickly through the wedding that you don't really remember it. And so it's just a moment to remember the moment because it's a a really special occasion, right? And and then I have them look each other in the eye from, you know, head to toe. And I then turn to the bride and I say, hey, your groom looks pretty good. This is the best looking he will ever look. It's all downhill from here, okay? (laughs) And it's true, right? I mean, you know that's true. And, and yet at the same time, here's the principle I'm driving home. Right? A wedding is a horrible representation of what marriage is like after the event, isn't it? Emotions are high. Everybody's happy. Your friends and family members are there to support you. It's not really an accurate representation of what marriage is like. Why? Because it's a messy journey. It's full of frustration. It's full of shouting matches, sleepless nights, and it doesn't all, it, it's not always picturesque. And so right before I have them recite their vows to each other, I, I just pause again. I say, hey, look, you're about to say something to the other person. You're about to promise something to the other person that no person since the beginning of time has ever kept perfectly. Now, I wouldn't say that you're about to lie to each other intentionally, but there is coming a day when you won't fully live up to the vows that you're about to exchange. And and so here's what's important. Here's an important component in every marriage is that grace and forgiveness is at the foundation. And where do we get that? Well, Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus Christ is our motivation, and he is our example in every marriage. And that's the only way that it can really work. That's how God designed this journey to continue. Let's keep going in our text. Look at, look at what Solomon's wife says about him in verses 3 through 4. It says, Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my beloved among the young men. I delight to sit in his shade, and his fruit is sweet to my taste. Let him lead me to the banquet hall, and let his banner over me be love. Now, right here, Solomon's bride describes how he made her feel so special. Now, an apple tree at this point in time would have been a very rare tree, would have been a very rare uh, uh, plant at this, in this part of the country. And so she's basically saying in a very poetic way, hey, I know you could have chosen a lot of other women, but you've chosen me. And so not only do I belong to you, but you belong to me. And what we see being expressed here is faithfulness and commitment. That's important as you enter into marriage, that you know the other person will be committed to you, will be faithful to you no matter what. Now, here's the thing. Anybody and everybody can fall in love, but not everybody can stay in love. Isn't that true? 
And some of us are like, yeah, that, that's my story. And so here's the next principle in the journey. It goes like this. The journey is about deciding to love someone that you didn't marry. <laughs> now let me save some emails here and, and explain this one, okay? A great marriage consists of both a husband and a wife choosing to love each other as both of them change naturally throughout the course of life. There will come a time when you will wake up and you will look over at the person that you married and you will wonder who he or she is. And you'll maybe have second thoughts. You might feel regret. But one of the, most, one of the more frustrating aspects of marriage is wanting to change your spouse but really not having the ability. As much as we want to control our wives or control our husbands, we just don't really have that ability. You, you can't control one another. A couple weeks ago, uh, my wife and I took our kids to uh, a, a city about three hours away just for a little day trip, and we were driving on the interstate for about an hour or so when my wife looked over at uh, the gas gauge, and she said, oh my goodness, we're about ready to run out of gas. Now, I was the one driving, okay, but that sent her into a panic because she doesn't like to ride when the uh, gas is low on the vehicle, and, and we just have two totally different philosophies when it comes to filling up the gas tank. I don't know if it works out like this for you in your home, but Savannah will fill up the gas tank after it, it hits that halfway mark, okay? I mean, once it hits halfway, she's going to pull into a gas station and fill it right back up. She, she likes to you know, drive with that kind of safety and security, knowing that she's not going to run out of gas. Me, on the other hand, I, I like to live by faith. <laughs> I like to risk it a little bit more. For me, it's kind of a game. How long can I drive once that light comes on? You know what I mean? And so she said, how long has that light been on? Now, I may have fabricated the truth a little bit. I didn't want to cause more anxiety and panic in her. And so I said, oh, this, it just recently came on. We, we, we should be just fine. Well, she immediately pulled out her phone and she tried to uh, Google a, a gas station because there were no exits where we were driving. But unfortunately, our cell phones didn't have service. Yeah, it, it's getting bad. And so I'm starting to sweat, but I'm sure Zach not letting her see it. You know what I mean? And we keep driving and finally she gets one bar on her cell phone and she says, oh, I finally found a gas station. She said, oh, but it's, it's 16 miles away. Now, we had been driving about 20 miles at that point in time with the gas light still on, and, and so I'm really starting to panic at this point, and so I just pull off to the side of the road. I find an exit that out in the middle of nowhere, nothing nearby, and so I just decided to start driving down some country roads, hoping that I would see some nice, classy farmer off in the distance who could loan me some gas from his tractor, you know what I mean? But there was no such thing out there, and so I couldn't find any gas, and I'm really starting to panic because I've just wasted even more time doing this. I look off to my right as I I'm driving down this two-lane road, and I see two construction workers about ready to start their bobcat because they were doing some road construction uh, evidently that day. And so I pulled off to the side of the road, got out of the car, and I said, hey, guys, we're about ready to run out of gas. And I would hate for my wife to walk really far to the gas station while I wait in the car. Um, I didn't say that, all right? <laughs> Well, they pointed me to a gas station, and we literally coasted to that gas station on fumes, filled up the tank, and I won. I mean, it was great. We were just fine. There was nothing to worry about the entire time, you know? And when I got back in the car, Savannah said, just please promise me that you won't do that again. It is so frustrating. You've done that before. Please, please keep the, the tank full. Now, the reality is that's going to happen again, okay? <laughs> Now, you might think that's stubborn, but I'm just being realistic. We can't change one another no matter how much we try. At the very first wedding, God's officiating. Genesis chapter 2 takes place between our first parents, Adam and Eve. God says this, that is why a man 
leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Now, from the beginning, notice here that that God designed marriage to be between a man and a woman. Now, don't get mad at me, but that's simply what the Bible says, all right? It's exclusively between a man and a woman, a husband and a, a wife. And The reality is that no other institution, no other government or individual has the right to redefine something that he or she didn't create to begin with. And so God says, look, it's the merger of a man and a woman where you bring two separate lives together, and as a result in this process, your spouse's flaws and weaknesses become really obvious pretty quickly, don't they? I mean, maybe more so than when you initially met them and when you were dating. You see, before marriage, your husband seemed pretty confident, but now once you've been married a few months or a few years, you you see that confidence as as arrogance and, and someone who always has to win a fight, right? Or maybe during the engagement and and dating portion of your relationship, you you thought that your wife was just really creative and she had a lot of artistic skills, but but now that you're married, it's starting to frustrate you because you now see her as undisciplined and and disorganized and it's starting to rub you the wrong way. Now, I'm not proud of this. I'm, I'm not proud of this whatsoever. But you see, my experience has been that it is much easier for me to identify my wife's weaknesses and what's going on that she needs to correct than it is to look in my own heart and my own life and realize some adjustments that I need to make. And what ends up happening is that I can focus so intently on what she needs to do for me or what she needs to fix and and how she should have responded that way that I am completely numb and overlooking the fact that I've got some junk in my own life that is causing her just as much frustration, pain, and and maybe even anger. It's it's dealing, she's dealing with my, my, my own stuff just as much as I'm dealing with hers. And so if you're married, if you're married, here's a dare, here's a challenge that I just want to throw out to you. What would it look like for you to ask your spouse today, hey, what's it like to live on the other side of me? What's it like to live on the other side of me? Can can you just help me see perspective? And and you know what, it might be a little bit painful, but I'm willing to bet that, that your relationship might take a turn for the better if you at least listen and you begin to understand some of the hurt and pain that you've caused her or the hurt and pain you've caused him. Check out the next two verses as Solomon's bride keeps talking. She says, strengthen me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am faint with love. His left arm is under my head. Man, it feels good, she says. And his right arm embraces me. Now, one of the reasons why God created marriage was for our pleasure and ultimately to bring him honor and glory so that we can know him more. The Shulamite woman right here expressed how Solomon made her feel so secure when when they were out in public. And you have to conclude that because she mentions his arms, Solomon must have been ripped, right? I mean, he must have, like, gone to the gym a whole lot and and worked out. He he had to have had some pretty nice nice arms. And and i got to be honest with you about something, all right? Ever since we hired Jeremy to be our worship pastor in, in, in January, I'm sick of hearing about how nice his arms look. I've had to tell some of you elderly ladies that he is taken, okay? And I, when he first came here, I heard about it so often, every direction, that, that I just couldn't get away from it. And my home was the one place where I could just kind of leave work at work, and, and I wouldn't hear about it, and it was my one safe haven. No lie, one night at dinner, my five-year-old son looks up at me out of the blue and says, Hey, Daddy, when are you going to get arms like Jeremy? Not funny. (laughs) 
Yeah, that's right. It was great. Last night after I said that, some elderly ladies went up to Jeremy, who will be standing right outside this door after surfing, like, can you do it? Can you do it? And make him feel really awkward. It'll be awesome. He deserves it. All right? <laughs> and so the bigger picture of what Solomon's wife is saying here is, is we really see a, a wife, a, a woman, describing the fact that she's thriving in her relationship with, with her husband. Why is that? Well, because he took his role really seriously. And that brings me to the next principle along the journey. It goes like this. Every journey needs a leader. Every journey needs a leader. Solomon knew that God had entrusted him with leading their home. Now, a leader is only as good as his willingness to do what it takes to protect the vulnerable and those he loves. Now, as men, our wives need us to protect, provide, and, and pursue them. One day, whether we know it or not, we will stand before the Lord and we will give an account to how well we managed and, and how well we led a part of his kingdom that he entrusted to us called the home. And if you think that that sounds like a lot of pressure and, and that, that's pretty weighty, you know what? You, you'd be exactly right. It is. You see, your girlfriend, your fiance, your wife, she may not say it very well. She may not say it at all. But I bet she is anxiously waiting for the moment for the day when you decide to actually step up, stop making excuses, and assume responsibility in life and in your relationship. About 2,000 years ago, there were some men in the city of Ephesus who were just struggling with this whole idea of leading and loving their wives. And, and so the, the, the planner, the, the pastor of this church who, who started it, addressed it by saying it like this in Ephesians chapter 5. He, he said, hey guys, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now today, love is kind of a diluted term, isn't it? I mean, I love my mom, I love to fish, I love my car, and I love my wife. Certainly, love doesn't mean all the exact same things in each of those scenarios, right? Now, the kind of love that Paul referred to here in the original language, the Greek, it goes back to this word agape. Now, the best illustration of agape love that Paul mentions is, is the love of Jesus. You see, Jesus showed us sacrificial love on the cross. Now, here's the thing. Jesus stepped in our place, and he fought a battle that wasn't his responsibility to begin with. You see, our sin was our fault, but when Jesus came to earth, he made it his fault. He made it his responsibility. And so by going to the cross in our place, it wasn't to Christ's advantage. No, but the people who were actually paid off, it was us. We were the ones who were given benefit. Now hang with me here, here for a minute because it's going to get a little bit tense in here, especially for us guys, and, and that's okay. Take a deep breath. All right, if the image that you have of Jesus is that he is some weak, passive, scrawny dude with a high-pitched voice, chances are you're probably not leading your home very well. All right, over the centuries, Jesus has been emasculated in the name of tolerance, playing nice, and political correctness. We've done this in the church, Right? You see, whenever Jesus saw a woman, a child, or someone who couldn't fight for themselves, you know what he did? He stood in front of them and said, hey, if one of you wants to touch her, if one of you wants to harm him, you've got to first fight me. You've got to go through me first. Jesus was pretty unpredictable with his temper and with his anger as well. He frequently called out the religious leaders for, you know, doing certain things that went against what God said was right and true. He labeled them offensive names. We know of at least one instance when he got so irate and angry that uh, the, the religious insiders were making it difficult for lost and broken people to find hope and salvation that he walked into their church building, just started ripping up the furniture and throwing tables left and right and flat out destroyed things because of his anger about what was taking place. There was injustice happening. And yet this is why Jesus embodies masculinity. 
Here's the thing. Jesus fought. He channeled his inner anger towards good. He didn't back down in confrontation and even let himself die a death that he didn't deserve. Why? Because that's what strong men do who love well. And so as someone who has really struggled with this at different moments in my life, let me be really honest with all of us men in here right now. All right, our problem as men isn't that we can't fight. Our problem as men is that we tend to fight for the wrong things. Now, your issue, guys, it isn't that, that you can't fight or you don't know how to fight. You're fighting for something. You're fighting for someone. It just may not be the right person or the right thing. Let's get a little bit more specific with this. Some of us are fighting so hard to take a few strokes off our golf game that you don't have enough time and energy to pursue your wife when you get home in the evenings. Now, some of you guys are, uh, who are dating are, are fighting so hard to get your girlfriend in bed and fulfill some fantasy that you have that it makes no sense to you how that might not be in her best interest and might be harming her in the long run. Some of you guys are, are fighting so hard to delay picking out even a wedding day that you don't see how you're choosing to free yourself from commitment and putting your needs and your wants ahead of your fiancé's because that's not really what true love is. You see, it is much easier... It is much easier to just make excuses, wallow in comfort, than to become the warrior that God has originally created us to be and to fight for what he says is right and true. But I'm convinced of this. This does not come at the exclusion of women and children. We intentionally target men here, and here's why. I'm convinced that most of the issues, the pain, the hurt, and dysfunction that affect women and children the most in our world just go away when we as guys actually do what we're called to do. And so, guys, a lot of us need to think differently about some stuff that we've got going on, different decisions that we've made. So whatever battle it is that you're facing right now, don't give up. Keep fighting. Channel that inner anger towards what is right and true, and, and you fight for the heart of your wife. You, you fight to protect your girlfriend. Now, in the past month here at Crossroads, I don't know if you know this, but we have seen nearly 100 people be baptized and, and come to know Jesus for the very first time. And, and I just love what God is doing in this place. He's doing some amazing things. Two weeks ago, you probably know that, that we had 55 people decide to walk forward and be baptized that day. And uh, it, it was just an incredible weekend. When I came home later that day, my, my wife asked me how it went. And I said, oh, it was great. And, and the thing that I told her that I was most proud of, and the thing that I was most excited about was the fact that most of you who walked forward, you were men. It's awesome. Yeah. And there were two men in particular that I baptized, and I said, why, why are you doing this? Why are you taking this step? And, and here's what you told me. You said, I, I realize that, that I've got to own leadership in the home, that if I expect my children to do this, if I expect my wife to do this, that leaders go first, and so I'm going first, and, and that's what this looks like. And, and so even, even though this is a little bit embarrassing for me and it's a little bit humbling for me to do this, I'm laying down my rights for the betterment of my family. And I just want you to know, awesome. Way to go. Keep going. Keep following Jesus. Absolutely. And I love what God's doing in this place. And one thing that I've heard a lot from you lately is that you're concerned about us still being a multi-generational church. And, and the reason for that is because of obviously my age and, and also the fact that we've had a lot of staff transitions uh, over the past year and, and we've lost a lot of long-tenured uh, pastors on staff for, for different reasons. 
And so I just want you to know that we hear you, and that's one of the reasons why I am so excited to tell you that this past week, Rick Kyle, whom you've heard a lot from lately, uh, flies in from California. He has accepted our invitation to actually join our staff to move here uh, to Evansville. <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> And uh, he's going to be our teaching pastor, and that means that uh, I, I've asked him to preach about 12 to, to 18 times a year, and uh, he, he is an old guy. He's like 52. <laughs> I'm kidding. Come on. <laughs> but uh, it is really important that, that we have a balance uh, of generations represented uh, from stage, and, and so that's important to me. I know it's important to you, and uh, I hope that you see this as a, a good step forward. You have an opportunity next weekend to just affirm this decision. We require it according to our bylaws, so if you're a member in good standing here, uh, we just ask that you be prepared to do that uh, next weekend, okay? Now, here's the last kind of road trip rule principle that I want to lay out before we wrap things up. It goes like this. Protect yourself from a false start. Protect yourself from a false start. Again, the journey that you experience after your wedding is sometimes determined by how intentional you are before your wedding. But to have what no one else has means doing things that you've maybe never done before or what no one else seems to be doing. I want you to take a look at the advice that, that Solomon's bride gives to some younger ladies in her sphere of influence. She says, hey, daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Now, the point is, there is a right and a wrong time to marry someone and actually have sex. True love, it requires time to develop. Now, the challenge with this today is that women use sex to get love, and, and us guys, we, we use love to get sex. And you see, whenever that happens, whenever we fall into those two categories, we really put the longevity of our journey at risk because you're forcing it to develop prematurely. Now, for several years, researchers have studied the brain's response to different cravings, appetites, and desires that we have. And the term that's used to describe uh, this trigger in our mind is a term that goes like this, focalism, all right? Now, focalism is the brain's tendency to, to magnify on that one thing or that one person at the exclusion of everything else. And so, focalism can happen towards a person, an object, maybe a meal, and you tend to not really think rationally when this happens. This is why you maybe drive several miles out of your way to get that one dessert or to have that cheeseburger or to have that meal. It obviously inconvenienced you, yet why did you do that? Well, because you had focused on it. Your desires were so intense for it, you had imagined in your mind what it tasted like that, that you had to have it. Now, the danger of focalism is that we don't tend to make the best decisions when this is happening inside our brains. This is maybe why you have met a friend or family member's person of their dream that they had been talking about for months and months and months and how great he or she was, and then you met them for the first time and you're like, really? <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's who you're talking about? That's who you've been describing? Like, you, you can do way better, bro. You know what I mean? Why is that? Well, maybe there's a chance that in his or her mind, focalism has taken place, and they've already predetermined this imagination of what would happen to live long-term with this person. It's romanticized, and you tend to overlook faults of the other person, and, and they all, all of a sudden feel like, I won't be complete without him or her in my life. And, and so you end up not making sometimes the best decisions when it comes to dating because you, you've already fantasized about marrying that person and spending the rest of your life with them, when the reality is 
It may not be the best thing for you. Now, I can say that focalism isn't all that bad, okay? Because if focalism didn't happen, Savannah would have never married me, okay? <laughs> I mean, there's no telling how many people told her, really? I mean, you can do so much better than him, all right? And yet, I am so grateful that uh, both of us came from families, moms and dads, who encouraged us to uh, get married and to not put off our wedding. We, we got married really young. We got married when we were uh, 19 and 18 years old, all right? That's just how you roll in Kentucky. <laughs> you know it's true. <clears throat> but, you know, in all honesty, for some of us, you keep delaying marriage. And, and if you maybe keep telling your kids to put it off, to wait as long as possible, if he wants to live together but not marry you just yet, you, you really need to seriously understand why. You see, if his or her reason to delay marriage is because of a career, because of education, finances, or enough time to plan the perfect wedding, is it possible? Now, I'm not saying, making a blanket statement, but is it possible that he or she is putting their needs before you, and that may be a pattern that's brought into your marriage and may not be the best thing for you guys over the long haul? So don't, don't make this decision lightly. Don't take it lightly. Pray through it. Ask your parents and friends that you know most what they think. Especially get counsel from people in your life that care about you but are also following Jesus. And so if you're a Christian, make sure that the person that you're dating is also a believer. All right? There's no such thing as, as converting that person once you get married. It's not going to happen. That, that's an illusion. And so that's why the Bible is very clear about marrying believers being equally yoked like that. And then once you've determined to marry this individual and you have peace about it, you're okay with it, get a date on the calendar as soon as possible. Take some pre-marriage counseling courses. Try to keep your hands off each other. Get married and then have lots of sex, Okay. It's just how God designed it. Can I get an amen on that, all right? It's almost Father's Day, all right? And that's how God intends for it to work. And, and before, I, before I close in prayer, I just want to throw out a really ridiculous idea out there for, for just a second. There are some of us here right now listening to my voice. You are living with a boyfriend, girlfriend, or fiance. And I don't know why. I, I, honestly, I don't really care. Okay? But the reality is, that's your relationship right now. That's your reality. And things get complicated. I get that. The kids are involved. Finances are involved. Rent and, and all the above. But, but you're living with him or her, and, and you don't have a date on the calendar yet. You keep delaying it for whatever reason. I'm not here to condemn I'm not here to look down on you for that decision. But I will tell you that the Bible is very clear that the marriage bed is to be kept pure. Now, God doesn't say that to be restrictive or exclusive. He's just saying, hey, look, this is the best way that this gift I've given you works. And and so if you want a better way in your marriage, if you want a better way with love, God says, well, will you just submit to what I say is right and true? And that's a step some of you need to take. And so he here's what I want to do. If that's where you're at, what would it look like for you to be married at the very end of, of this series? On June 25th, after this service, back in the chapel, free wedding given by me or any pastor of your choosing, all right? If that's where you're at, all right, go ahead and write this down. <laughs> Save the date. Bring your friends. Bring your family members, okay? Bring a marriage license. That's, that's important. I'll say, if you don't like me, I don't have to marry you, all right? 
It can be somebody else if, if you want on our staff, but, but we want to just help you take the right steps moving forward. And, and again, we're, we're not here to condemn you, but we are, to say, we are here to say, hey, here, here's a better, more redemptive way so that you can stay within the boundaries of what God says is, is right and true. And, and then we're going to encourage you after that to take some pre-marriage counsel or marriage counseling uh, classes just, just so you can get started on the right foot. All right? And guys, guys, this is a great opportunity for you to assume some responsibility to actually take the lead and be a man. And if that's you, you know who I'm talking to. Let's pray. God, I know that for a lot of us, we have different emotions, different feelings, past experiences about marriage, love, sex, dating that that honestly has caused us a lot of hurt, pain, frustration, and we hear and learn about this, this better way and some of us think, man, that, that's not how it works for me or I wish she would have heard that before we tied the knot or I wish, I wish he, he, he would actually take his role more seriously. And, and God, I know that with a message like this, it is really easy. It's really easy for us to identify and point out what the other person needs to change, what he needs to fix, what, what she needs to do better at. And yet the call to marriage is a call to put more focus on what we need to work on improvements that we need to make because marriage is a picture of what you've done for us in spite of all the junk that we've brought to the table in spite of all of our brokenness, our sin shame, guilt Jesus you took the responsibility of it so that we could be saved so that we could be free and forgiven that's our motivation it's in Jesus name we pray